0: Well, I served on the INTA Board of Directors, and that was an incredible experience. You know, this is such a prestigious organization, INTA, and because of INTA, I've been able to meet, make friends and clients all over the world. Serving on the Board of Directors was like that next level. I was in the room, at the table, with some of the best and brightest.
1: That's our guest on today's show, Janice Boreskin. Janice is a partner at Canadian IP firm Boreskin & Parr and leader of the firm's Trademarks Practice Group. This episode forms part of our special series Live at Inter, where we took the podcast on the road to the Inter annual meeting in Singapore. We set up our podcast studio at the Bill Trader Expo booth and guests were interviewed by our head of marketing and podcast producer, Wendy Robertson. Welcome to Talking IP, a podcast for IP professionals featuring conversations that take you inside the professional lives and careers of global IP leaders and entrepreneurs. I hope you enjoy the show.
2: Janice Bareskin, welcome to Talking IP. Thank you. So we're here at the fabulous Interconference in Singapore. It's a great opportunity for the industry, you know, friends and colleagues to connect. What's been the highlight of the of the conference so far?
0: There's so many highlights already. I've been here for a few days and seeing people and clients in person has been incredible. But uh, I, I have to say being in Singapore has also been amazing. I've never been here before. So what a great combination.
2: Have you had a chance to see any of
0: Singapore? I have. I came a day early and I did a hop on hop off bus and it was really hot outside. So I did stay on the bus a little bit more than than off, but I also did, I think it's called the Flower Dome, the Skywalk and there were some exhibits and flower exhibits and I've also had a chance to visit some incredible restaurants. So pretty good for only a few days here. Yes, the food scene in Singapore is amazing. Everything from the hawker
2: scene to fine dining restaurants and everything in between.
0: Oh, yeah. No, we're really lucky, aren't we, that we're working and visiting these amazing restaurants and sites?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, we've, we've been having a lovely time. It's been busy, but yeah, incredible to see everyone face-to-face and what a difference it makes.
0: Huge, huge
2: someone that I'd been talking to over Zoom I met for the first time and we just hugged and she said you can't do that over Zoom.
0: And was she shorter or taller than you expected or you know. Oh, she was, I knew that she was
2: just <laughs> Singaporean so I knew she was going to be uh, smaller but but that's always a funny thing isn't it when you meet people.
0: Yeah, You like, can't
2: tell when people are sitting down.
0: Exactly. Listen, I'm, you know, I'm so grateful that there is Zoom and Microsoft Teams, and we were able to connect with people during the, the lockdowns. But there is something in person that you achieve that you don't otherwise. And it really is special when you get people in person together.
2: It's funny when we've been sort of starved of that for so long, when you feel it, it's this this human connection that you just, I mean, I think we've learned to do business over Zoom. So for certain just functional things, to have a quick catch up, to talk through something, to screen share, rather than getting into a car to drive somewhere. I think from an efficiency perspective, but from a relationship perspective, to be able to, I don't know, that human connection. I
0: totally agree. And I think the hybrid approach is the way to go. We don't need to force each other to be in the office and in person and at every meeting every single moment you know or if we're not feeling well or if there's a in my case I'm from Canada if there's a terrible snowstorm you know I don't need to take the risk of driving you know in those terrible conditions although I'm really good at it so it's nice to have that flexibility but I find when our team is in person together or when I'm meeting with clients in person it's so much more effective you don't see the dog in the background and that doorbell ringing and all of that. And
2: <laughs> Yeah, the role of pets in our business lives have been quite funny. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: I picked up a COVID puppy. I'm one of those people. And it's like having a baby again. Like, what was I thinking?
2: We've got COVID rabbits, little miniature rabbits. Oh, Cute. So luckily they don't come onto the screen but yeah I've been talking to people and suddenly there's been you know a cat walking in front
0: I've seen that too it's so funny and also do you notice that some people their pets kind of resemble them you know and it's like oh it's so fun to see people's pets you know and or even in their their background and you know and their home their work from home environments yeah all right, talk to me about
2: uh, your organization, your IP firm, and what are you here to talk to? What are you here to promote? What are you here to share with the audience?
0: Sure, I'm so fortunate. I'm a partner at Boreskin and Par. We are an intellectual property boutique that was started in the 1960s. My father, Dan, co-founded it, and he's still working, uh, writing books and passionate about intellectual property. So you could say I grew up really knowing so much about trademarks and patents and and intellectual property. So I'm obviously here as a partner of the firm. I'm head of our firm's trademark practice group. I'm on the executive committee. We have offices in multiple areas of Canada, including Montreal, where there's lots of French language, trademark issues. We have a really special firm. We've got depth of experience. So of course I'm promoting our firm as a whole. I'm promoting our trademark practice group, but I'm also promoting other areas of intellectual property. Sometimes people don't know, you know, you're here at a trademark conference, but we do regulatory advertising marketing work. Of course, we do tons of patent work. We do privacy work and we do a lot of enforcement work. Social media. UDRP dispute. So you know, intellectual property sounds like this little niche, but of course, it's quite vast, and our firm does it all. So of course, I don't do it all, but I oversee a lot of it. And it's exciting to work at a place like that. To be here, meeting with new clients, existing clients, and people like you. Do you have a particular client success story that you can share? That I think. The one client that I'm, I'm happy to sort of speak about is Canada Goose and I don't know if you're familiar with the brand, they started out really with an expertise in outerwear, really cold weather parkas and they've got an iconic logo and they started out as a very small private family company. And that's when I became involved with them. They had no assistance, no, you know, no legal department. And we've helped them for many, many years. And we, in a sense, we grew up with them. And now they're, you know, a billion-dollar public company. They have stores all over the world. They have a lot of counterfeiting issues all over the world. Uh, we helped secure their CanadaGoose.com domain name, and they are our pride. You know, to work with a Canadian company. We also work with IMAX Corporation, another Canadian success story. But, you know, there's so many that I could speak about, but those are two that are probably really. Closest to my heart.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I love that sort of the idea that you're sort of growing up with your clients and, you know, continuing to help them as they grow. But,
0: you know, just because you've done their work for so long doesn't mean that you can just sit back and relax and say, oh, you know, in fact, you have to work harder and harder. Your competitors are always looking to maybe offer less expensive services or having new expertise. So we don't take any clients for granted, but, you know, we do feel a very special sense of pride of these clients that have been with us so long and we have that institutional knowledge which can be really helpful when you're in a complicated dispute and you remember a file that you worked on several years ago that had similar facts or you know things like that and so I think the clients appreciate that.
2: It's invaluable that institutional sort of knowledge, and and I think that there's so many new things arising for different brands and and businesses that create you know risks and complexity in their business that you know five years ago didn't exist. You know, we're sort of talking about things like the metaverse and you know, oh yeah. uh, you know, all this sort of stuff, and you know, artificial intelligence, and you know all these different things that you know these fake. Videos that people where it can actually have someone speaking and, yeah. and talking, and it's it's a fake.
0: You actually can't even imagine all of these scenarios that we're dealing with now. I guess uh, several years ago, it was like the internet. Ooh, you know, now, I mean, the internet's nothing compared to, you know, the metaverse and everything else that we're dealing with. But I think that's when, if you have a good team to help you, whether you're in-house or at a private practice like me, that team is really important. And you know who the experts are and you can draw upon that expertise when you need it. Fantastic.
2: So it sounds like... You, uh, I'm going to ask you about how you got your start in IP, but it sounds like it was the the family business. Birth, <laughs> <on> yeah. <birth. laughs> so maybe tell me about two or three career highlights so far.
0: Well, I served on the INTA board of directors and that was an incredible experience. You know, this is such a prestigious organization, INTA, and because of INTA, I've been able to meet, make friends and clients all over the world. Serving on the board of directors was like that next level. I was in the room at the table with some of the best and brightest and hearing about, you know, sometimes pretty confidential and really newsworthy changes in the law and practice. And so being able to correspond and communicate and make friends with people on the board for those three years and travel with them was a really unique experience. And to get on the INTA board, you know, you don't just apply. You first serve on a committee and then you might... Be elevated to a committee chair, vice chair, and then chair. I served on a um, presidential task force. And then I also received an IATA Volunteer Service Award. And that was given to me at a leadership meeting. And that, you know, that was such a surprise and so nice to be rewarded like that, recognized. I've also been listed as one of the top 250 women in intellectual property in the world. I know there's so many great people out there practicing, but to be recognized for my efforts and contribution has been pretty meaningful.
2: Wow. (laughs) Career highlights, you've got lots. So obviously you've been working in the industry for a while, part of the Talking IP podcast. We talk to lots of IP leaders. From your perspective, what are the most important characteristics that makes a great leader?
0: I thought that was a great question. And I was thinking about that You know, we all bring different attributes and we have different strengths. So part of it is being true to yourself, finding out what are you good at? What do you like to do? But I think being authentic is huge. You know, we're all here or a lot of us are here trying to get more work and promote ourselves, but also just know what you are and what you aren't. And it's okay to ask for what you want. I just had a client meeting and I said, you know, I'd love to do more of your work there but there is a way to do it and I love to lead by example so now that I'm responsible for a pretty big team back at home I like to bring my juniors into meetings with me and show them how I do things but that doesn't mean that my system my path is going to work for them so I try to let people have some freedom to find out what works for them so what works for me is having connections finding people that I like to work with try to find some common ground and then work really hard and do your homework (laughs) right
2: yes I think authenticity is is so critical because everyone is different and unique and everyone and there isn't a cookie cutter sort of best way to be. And I think if you try and be something else, you, you just... And
0: don't you think it's so transparent if you're not that they can read through when you're faking it? And also, you know, sometimes if I'm in a meeting and somebody asks me a question and I don't know the answer, I'll say, you know what, that's a great question. I haven't heard that one and I'm not sure of the answer. So let me get back to you than to make something up or, you know, I would never do that. But I know some people get really thrown off when they're asked a question they don't know. And I don't think clients expect us to know everything Right on the spot.
2: And I think I have worked for some great leaders but often, you know, great leaders, you know, will they, they say I look for people that are that know stuff that I don't know. I can't know I can't know everything. It's about finding the best and brightest talent is my skill. Exactly. Yeah. So okay, now looking at the industry, in your perspective, how do you see technology playing a role in trademark protection and what do you see the what do you see in the future?
0: Yeah, technology has been such a resource, a blessing in many ways, it's enabled us to do our work faster, You know, more efficiently, with less expense. We can get things done. On a personal note, our firm went paperless well before the pandemic. And boy, were we happy about that. You know, and we talked about Zoom and video conferencing, but now we're seeing artificial intelligence. So, you know, are all of us going to be replaced? I don't think so. But will it help us maybe with some trademark searches or some routine technical objections? A hundred percent. And that's something that my office is already working on. How can we use the technology to offer better services? It's not going to replace all of us, but it will let us do our job faster and hopefully better.
2: So it's interesting like the you know, I look at lots of the service providers that are here, you know, there's a bit of a polarized view on sort of the commoditization of certain tasks in the IP sort of industry. What are your what's your perspective on that?
0: Yeah, I think that there's always a little bit of a fear that oh, technology is going to replace all of us. And I think we have to embrace technology. Our firm and maybe because we're intellectual property based, we've always embraced technology and we look for ways to work with it rather than resisting. I think, though, there's just so many options. There's so much coming at us. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to figure out what's the right technology, what's worth the investment, and that's what we're doing now. And so I like speaking to these people at these booths and finding out a little bit about their products. Software is not my expertise, but I'm always interested in ways to make my life easier. Absolutely.
2: Now, sort of my next question is sort of Bill Trader question in some respects because uh, I don't know if you've heard of Bill Trader before, but one of the problems we solve for clients is help reduce debtor days. You know, traditionally an IP firm can have, you know, 90, 120 day plus outstanding revenue. So it's, it's very common. It's just, a, it's just an industry sort of practice. If you were able to reduce those data days down to one week, would that be of benefit for your firm?
0: Are you kidding? <laughs> of course. I mean, that would be like a, a gift from the sky the problem is I have a feeling this is common. For example, when we get invoices from another law firm, let's say in Europe, we don't pay their bill until our client pays it. So, you know, it might take me a couple of weeks to get their bill in my system and out to my client. My client will sit on it for 30 days, 90 days. Then as soon as they pay it, I'll pay the other firm. And then the other thing we have going on is if our firms work with each other, they do our European work, we do their Canadian work. Sometimes we'll say, well, we're not paying your bill until you pay our bill. So it gets a little bit complicated. So I think, you know, this is sort of back to what we were talking about technology and advances. I don't exactly know how it all works, but if you can find a way to get me and my firm paid faster, I would say that's a really good thing.
2: Well, I think uh, we're going to have to have a conversation because that's one of the issues we solve. So uh, we have an accounts payable um, offer. So we help. It's, it's all about helping, you know, we're about helping IP firms make payments and receive payments from all of their agents around the world.
0: It's a huge problem. Clients have very different billing practices some say if you don't send them an invoice within two weeks you know they're not going to pay you've got to use all these portals we've got foreign associates all over the world so it's a big investment on our end to have staff in our office administering all of that and at the end of the day cash flow is critical for all organizations so if we can get paid you know in 30 days instead of 90 that's a huge savings to a firm of our size so I think that sounds like a terrific business model I'm not sure how you guys work but I'll look forward to hearing about it for yeah, sure I think
2: we can absolutely solve we can absolutely solve that issue along with sort of others I think so there's uh we have five pillars of operational efficiency I suppose that we look at the cost bank fees so every time you send money overseas and money comes back the bank takes a little piece yeah we've got bank accounts all over the world so you're you know we enable our clients to make local payments and uh we look at the the staff costs of manually data entering and reconciling chasing payments doing all that sort of stuff cash flow you know being able to take 120 data days down to you know, seven days can be, you know, transformational for some businesses. And then uh, we look at currency risk, sending money all around the world, different currencies. And sometimes if, you know, there's shortfalls, and there's headwinds and tailwinds, but yeah. do you want someone to be able you want to be able to smooth that stuff out and remove that risk?
0: Yeah, I think traditionally firms, you know, add a percentage or two to the exchange rates, just like the banks do, so that you've got a little bit of built in cushion. But it's yeah, it's very challenging. For sure.
2: We're definitely going to have a chat. So just to close up, is there anything else you'd like to, to talk about? Is there anything that we've...
0: Well, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. And, it, you know, I don't know if you can hear on this podcast, but the atmosphere here is really, um, it's great. People seem really excited to be in Singapore and attending the ITA meeting. Just think we're so fortunate to work in this industry. So I, I'm, I've i got a few more days of packed, a packed schedule, but I'm looking forward to it. And then I'll probably crash on the plane ride home you and me both
1: well that's it for our special episode of talking ip live at inter and thanks to our guest janice bareskin thank you for joining us and please reach out to connect with me on linkedin where we'll share updates on the release of each episode talking ip is brought to you by bill trader a fintech solution for ip firms designed to solve the cost and efficiency challenges of making and receiving payments to and from your foreign agents to learn more visit billtrader.com